Vinci, Donatello, Rembrandt, Strauss, Flaubert, Oscar Wilde, Delgado, Moreau, Luini, Titian, Massenet, Vanek, Caravaggio, Memling, Botticelli, Nick Cave, Leonard Cohen, John Cale, U2, Patti Smith, and on and on and on for thousands of years across cultures and continents, artists of all media have turned to this story for inspiration. The death of John the Baptizer. 22 songs about the daughter dancing have been on the worldwide pop charts in the last 20 years. Is that crazy? 78 paintings about the death of John the Baptist have their own Wikipedia page. What is it about this story that stands the test of time? What is it that inspires and haunts so many people? There is incredible thematic tension packed into this short story. There's unchecked power, objectification of women, exploitation of children, violence, beauty, wealth, fear, law, superstition, shame, guilt, revenge. While the exaggerated emotion conjures up something like a soap opera, The passage is like a Cliff Notes Greek tragedy. It even adheres to that genre structurally, sort of. A tragedy begins with a prologue, um, which explains the background of the story, which is what we get there, told in language. And then the parados, in which the characters uh, enter in, and then uh, several episodes... And then a tragedy ends with an exodus, the conclusion of the story. In this case, John's disciples carrying his body out. Let's rewind a second and review the facts and characters of this Judean soap opera slash Greek tragedy. There's Herod, the Jewish ruler who was a puppet for the Romans. Herod likes John. He's curious about him. But his trophy wife, who is also his brother's ex-wife, is not a fan. A young girl dances before a bunch of drunken, middle-aged men. And Herod wants to be a big tipper. Ask me anything up to half of my company shares. I mean, kingdom. The vengeful stage mom orders a dead prophet. And the young dancer adds her own twisted flair by asking for John's head on a platter. And Herod is trapped by that capital vice. That is the heart of the best Greek tragedy. Pride. The pitfall of everyone from Achilles in Oedipus to Othello in Gordon Greco. 
Gordon Gecko. <laughs> John, the righteous prophet, who prepares the way of the Lord, dies because of a rich guy's party and the whim of a spoiled child. Yet it's one of the best stories of all time. What is this story doing here? Why does Mark include this story in a narrative about Jesus? And why does Mark include it in the middle of chapter 6? There are a couple reasons. First of all, this is foreshadowing. The story sets the stage for Jesus' death. Herod's reference to the dead being raised normalizes that concept and prepares the reader for the shocking story to come. Remember, that is the point of Mark's story. He's telling the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The story of John's death also helps with the passage of time. It's a flashback. Remember last week how we talked about Mark and sandwiches? How Mark likes to like start a story and then tell a different story and then come back to the first story? And it shows passage of time. There's a bunch of different stuff. This Mark and sandwich creates a sense of time passing while the disciples are out on their mission, on their journey. They've been sent out two by two. Remember, don't take anything. Don't take an extra jacket. Don't take food. Don't take money. Just get out there. Remembering that John's death is in the middle of this sandwich is essential to understanding its place in Mark's gospel. Mark is providing a depiction of discipleship. He's giving us a cliffhanger. Jesus sends out the disciples, and here Jesus gives a story that shows the dangers that could be present to them as they are out in the world. He's telling us what it's like to follow Jesus or John, what it's like to live the God-love life. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls the cost of discipleship. Bonhoeffer begins his treatise on the subject by denouncing cheap grace. Cheap grace is forgiveness without repentance, grace without discipleship. In contrast, costly grace, quote, compels us to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is costly because it leads to death on the cross. But before we are tempted to romanticize death and sacrifice, let's rephrase the cost of discipleship as the consequence of love. Loving anyone or anything is not easy. Just is not. Yes, it's easy to fall in love. It's thrilling to discover passion, be it romantic, aesthetic, academic, or athletic. Shout out to Croatia, even though they fell down in France, did a great job. Shout out to all those folks <laughs> and everyone that's thinking about that now. But love does not end. It's like pet ownership, right? You don't just stop feeding your dog. <laughs> My seminary dean, uh, Emily Towns, gave a sermon related to this. She said, 
uh, her repeating phrase was, there are no days off. There are no days off. Which is not to say that we shouldn't rest. It's just that the Jesus way is like breathing. You don't stop. It's life essential, life giving. The way of love is not a tireless slog. It's the path of discovery, learning, of community, of infinite belonging. But infinite belonging invariably conflicts with pride and selfish ambition. The way of love exposes the flaws of power. As I was writing this, I was thinking about uh, Tank Man. Do you guys remember Tank Man from uh, Tiananmen Square in 1989? The lone person who's out there with his shopping bags. He's just crossing and then suddenly he decides he's going to go in front of the tanks. And, and stop him and you know he moves over a little bit and the tanks move over the tanks try to go that way and he goes back this way this unidentified man stood in front of a column of tanks on June 5th 1989 the day after the Chinese military had killed and injured thousands of people a lone individual in the face of of a great military. Last week, we talked about hospitality and Nowen's notion of creating space in which change can take place. For Chinese military in 1989 and for Herod, there is no space. Herod's pride led him to make a promise. His pride filled all the space such that he had to kill John. At least he thought he had to kill John. Despite his riches and power, Herod's pride gave him the vision of scarcity in which he felt like there were no other options. Because of that scarcity, a noble man died an ignoble death. The irony of wealth and power and privilege is that they isolate us from one another, from God, and from the natural world, from all that's around us. We forget that we live in interdependence with everything from the food we eat to the God that makes us. Because wealth and power and privilege have that isolating effect, liberation theologians talk about God's preferential option for the poor. Brazilian theologian Leonardo Both says that people who seek Jesus must become evangelically poor. And when he says that, he's not talking about money per se. He says the evangelically poor are those who make themselves available to God in the realization of God's project in this world and thereby makes themselves 
into instruments and signs of the kingdom. Available to God. I love that. How can I make myself available to God? Available as an instrument of divine creativity. Available to the 2,342 children who were separated from their parents at the U.S.-Mexico border between May 5th and June 9th. Available to the other over 2.5 million LGBTQ people in India who are fighting the courts today to end the criminalization of their sexual expression. Available to respond as over 10,000 species go extinct every year. Being available to God is not without consequences. It is costly. It is valuable. It is in that value that we find worth connection and meaning amidst the meaningless atrocities all around us. While the powerful dance with the headless, are we available? <laughs>